At this point in the service, I give a special greeting to those who are just logging in, realizing that you meant to be here in person, and you have overslept. Um, welcome. And then it, before the end of the service, somebody will walk in. So just don't embarrass them too much. It happens every, happens every year. Hey, if you're, um, so I commend you, if you're at home and you were thinking of, of coming in and we've had waiting lists the past um, couple of Sunday mornings, if you've been trying to get in and have had any frustration in that, I do recommend the Thursday night service. It's the same, as, it's the same service, same music, same sermon. And we typically have space on Thursday nights if you want to join. So if you feel more comfortable in a smaller uh, a smaller service, and then, and then we never turn clocks on Thursdays, so they don't have to worry about that. So I uh, would love for you to join us. We have a lot of fun uh, Thursday nights. So. Uh, but turning to God's Word, we're continuing our journey through the Gospel of Matthew, and we're still in the Sermon on the Mount, uh, this first you know, kind of big block of teaching in Matthew's Gospel. And we're going to look at today three rewards two treasures, and two visions. And each of these, as we look at them, Jesus is showing us what is truly valuable in his kingdom. And it reminds me of a parable that was told by the Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard in the middle 19th century. And he tells a story of thieves who went into, broke into a jewelry store late at night, but they didn't take anything. They did something very interesting. They just took the price tags and switched them all around, such that very, uh, the very expensive pieces were given lower tags, and the tags on the cheaper jewelry was all switched around. And the next day, the jewelry store opens up, and people go in, and they business as normal. And actually, days and weeks go by before people realize that they had very expensive pieces of jewelry that they got for just a few dollars, and and, and, and the opposite, too, that people had spent large amounts of money on things that were virtually worthless. And Kierkegaard said this. He said, my point is obvious, isn't it? The people of my day have no ability to tell the truly valuable from the virtually worthless. Not just in commerce, but in the world of ideas, too. Our age is putting on a veritable clearance sale. Everything can be had so dirt cheap that one begins to wonder whether, in the end, anyone will want to make a bid. So my question this morning is, what about us? Do we know what is truly valuable in this world? As we follow Jesus in the way of his kingdom in this world, as citizens of his kingdom, do we know that? And do we live in such a way that we know what is truly valuable? Are we able to distinguish between things? Because in a lot of ways, when Jesus came, he started to move the price tags around. Said what you think is really valuable and how people pursue it is actually in my kingdom, it's actually worthless. And here Jesus shows you where the true value is. Let's pray. Father, we very just humbly admit that we need this, that um, that we get it wrong so many times, but you are so gracious and good, and you teach us again and again your way and your will. That it's not some secret that we can never know, but that you make it clear to us. And not only do you give it to us, but you give us your very spirit to change our hearts and to give us a good desire to love the things that you love, to to break our hearts at the things that your heart breaks out, Lord. So I just pray that this time as as we look into your word, that it would be so. That our hearts would be changed. And that you be glorified. 
We pray it all in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Amen. So three, Jesus starts here with uh, talking about three rewards. So he says in verse 1, Be careful not to practice your righteousness in front of others. To be seen by them, if you do, you will have no reward from your Father in heaven. So when you give to the needy, don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. The first reward is the praise of other people. He said a lot of people do this. They, uh, the, these hypocrites and hypocrite in Jesus's day and in our day, it's actually a word that comes from the ancient Greek. It's, it's a word of, for an actor or somebody who wears a mask on stage. And figuratively, someone who goes around the world is a hypocrite, is somebody who's wearing a mask. They see the world as just a place to perform and have people see them however they want. But what is truly authentic is sometimes uh, hidden. And he said, you can go about and do good things and give money and be generous and have people see you. And they will uh, you know, praise you for that. They might think you're a good person. But if that's the reward you're going for, that's all you get. You, there is no reward from God in that. You're just going to get the, the, the praise of other people. Now, this could, if you're familiar with Jesus' teaching here, you'll notice that just before this, he's told his disciples to let their good deeds shine to other people. He said, you're the light of the world. Let your, let your good deeds shine before other people that they might give glory to God. It sounds almost contradictory now. So now when you do good things, actually you, you want to not do that in front of people. You want to be more uh, discreet about it. But without contradiction, really both are, are, are dangers that we sometimes want to hide our faith, and other times we really want people to see our good deeds. And I, I think the, a good barometer on this, because our hearts can be sinful, is that if you're, if you're feeling that you, you want to hide something about your faith, that's probably the time you want to share it. And whenever you really want to share something about what you're doing, that's maybe the time you want to be more private about it. So here's what Jesus says. He says, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be done in secret. Then your father, who sees what is done in secret, will reward you. So Jesus says, not only are you not to seek the praise of other people when you do good things, don't even praise yourself. Don't even let your right hand and your left hand know. Because we can be so self-congratulatory sometimes. And I was convicted of this this week, thinking about this text. Um, there was an instance. So Pastor Dan, who's not with us this morning, but Pastor Dan is a great guy. And he's very tidy. He's very clean. Would you, know, would you think that about him? Yeah, he seems like a, a, he's a tidy guy. So Pastor Dan, I got, to, I got here one morning on a Wednesday, and he left a dish in the sink. And I was rinsing out my mug, and I washed his dish, didn't think anything of it, and I put it in the rack and went to our staff meeting. And at the meeting, Dan said, hey, somebody washed my dish today. And, uh, and I knew that I had washed the dish. And I thought, oh, I'm not going to say anything, you know. I don't need any reward for this. And he said, Penny must have washed my dish. Penny, you washed my dish. And she said, I didn't wash your dish. He said, Penny, I know you washed the dish. And, um, and I let this go on because Penny cleans up after us all the time and gets no credit. I'm like, you know, Penny deserves a credit for the dish. I need nothing. But I felt so good about myself in that moment. I'm like, I did such a wonderful thing by, by washing the dish and also by not sharing about it. I'm a pretty good person. 
You would have thought, in my own mind, I had rescued somebody who was drowning in the Shashin River at that point. I was so, I had this smug self-approval as I'm sitting there in my silence. And Jesus said, that's a problem too. You can seek the praise of other people. You can seek your own praise. And he says, the greatest reward is from your father, who knows it all. We don't do good things. We don't give away our possessions, our money for congratulations or even our own self-approval. We do it because we want to share the heart of God, who is a generous God. We do it because God has blessed us, and we can use that, what we've been blessed with, to be a blessing to others, for the benefit of others. And whether somebody else notices, or whether we even feel so great about it, it doesn't matter because your Heavenly Father loves when you do that because your heart is aligned with Him. And the greatest reward is His very presence. It's His very love towards you. You'll see all throughout the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about God as Father. And as you look through Scripture, and the Old Testament does refer to God as Father a little bit, but it's only when God the Son comes on the scene that we really understand the Father heart of God as a loving father who loves to reward and to bless and that there is blessing in giving. There's nothing wrong with that. It's more, Jesus said, it's more blessed to give than to receive. But what is the reward? What is the blessing you're looking for? It's, 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 it's God's very heart. So we have a choice of what reward we're, we're looking for. Secondly, Jesus talks uh, next about two treasures. And we see this in verse 19. Jesus says, Do not store up for yourself treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In, in a sense, life is about storing up treasures. We have this amazing ability to produce and to uh, acquire and to make things happen with our, our lives. That's a good thing. God has made us to be productive. But what are we going to um, produce? Or what are we going to store up? Jesus said you can store up treasures on earth or you can store up treasures in heaven. Now, when he says, do not store up treasures on earth, there's nothing wrong with saving, uh, accumulating uh, money and savings and planning for the future. Actually, the scriptures commend that type of, uh, of life. We read through Proverbs and other places that there's, there's goodness in preparing and in saving. And there's nothing wrong with owning property or having possessions. The, the Bible doesn't specifically condemn that. What Jesus is talking about is about selfish accumulation. It's about putting, uh, ascribing value and worth to material things that uh, can never truly satisfy. It's about looking at someone else and saying, well, they have so much possessions that they, they, must, have, they must be successful or they must be getting it right in some way. And Jesus said, those are treasures on earth. Those can all be destroyed or stolen or ruined in one way or another. He said, you need to store up treasure in heaven. But then he doesn't define treasure in heaven. Well, what is treasure in heaven? <clears throat> and how do I build it or how do I store it up? <clears throat> 
So really, the only thing we have here is the contrast. So treasure on earth can rust and be destroyed and decompose. So therefore, treasure in heaven are things that can never rust, never decay, and never be stolen in any way. Basically, instead of things that are temporal, it's things that are eternal. Things like faith in God. Things like your character. Things like sharing Jesus Christ with other people. These are things that actually live on into eternity. In a sense, some, you can't take anything with you. Right? You can't, can't take it with you. So in the Old Testament, Job was right. When he said, naked I came from my mother's womb and uh, naked I shall return. I had nothing when I came into this world and I'm leaving it with nothing. But it's also true that there are things that are genuinely eternal that can grow. So in Revelation where it says, you know, when we die, we rest from our labors and our works follow us. Our deeds actually go with us into eternity. And we can, Jesus said, you can build those things even here on earth. And he says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Which is interesting, the order there, too. We, we would think Jesus would say just the opposite. He'd say, where your heart is, that's where your treasure is going to go. Wherever you set your heart, then your, your effort and your possessions and your energy will go for those things. And actually, sometimes the opposite is, and I think that's true, but I, the opposite is also true, that if we start to put our treasure and our possessions and our effort and, and our energy towards things of God's kingdom, actually our heart changes with that. And I've seen it. I've met people who, um, with giving money, sometimes people feel compelled to, uh, to try new habits of giving. So many people in our community tithe, which means giving a tenth of all that they have. They say, I'm going to intentionally live on 90% of my income, and I'm going to just give the other 10% to God's work. I'll give it to the church or to a ministry. And they reluctantly go into this type of a thing because they think it's the right thing to do, but it's, it's hard. And so they get into this, but then they realize wait a minute, there's blessing in this. That my heart, as I live this way, intentionally living on 90% of all that I have, my heart is actually changing that I love being generous. And that it's easier, it isn't that hard. And that I have plenty for all that I need. And God is blessing me richly as I live this way. That as I moved in this direction, God was changing my heart through that and showing me the blessing through that. So, God changes our heart, and it changes our behavior, and we change our behavior, and God uses that to change our heart as well. And this is so important because Jesus, his teaching all through the Gospels, this idea of detachment from material possessions, detachment from wealth, detachment um, from other kind of earthly possessions, is a key feature in his teaching. And we, we must understand that this is important to Jesus because he kept saying it over and over again. The uh, theologian and scholar Craig, uh, Craig Blomberg, he said this. He said, many perceptive observers have sensed that the greatest danger to Western Christianity is not, as sometimes is alleged, 
It's not prevailing ideologies such as Marxism or Islam or New Age movement or humanism, but rather the all-pervasive materialism of our affluent culture. Jesus knew that this attachment to wealth and this attachment to possessions is going to draw us away from his kingdom. And he said, in my kingdom, you can amass a lot of wealth, but it's a totally different kind of kingdom treasure. And that's the treasure that my followers will invest in. And then lastly here, Jesus shows us two visions. Not for you Marvel fans, not the one that Sword made and the one that Wanda recreated. So, two visions. Verse 22. Sorry about that if you don't know what I'm talking about. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But your eyes, if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. The two visions, is, it's, is, is it a vision of light or a vision of darkness? Um, and again, here we see again, the eyes and the heart are connected. He, Jesus just said, the pure in heart will see God. Jesus also said, if your eyes can cause you to, to sin and to commit adultery in your heart and all this teaching about the eyes and the heart. When, when the Bible says to um, fix your eyes or the Bible says to set your heart on something, it's really the same thing. The, the eyes and the heart are essentially the same. And this is crucial for us because in a sense you can, you can control your behavior to a certain extent. You, know, you can avoid what is bad or you can pursue things that are better and and you can become more self-disciplined. But it's hard to change your heart behind that. And again, last week we talked about things like lust or like anger. I mean, those things are almost biochemical. You, you become angry. You just, your heart rate goes up and you're, it's, it's your brain chemicals. Like, now, I'm not going to punch you because I can control my behavior. If you're lucky, I won't punch you. I, I'm not going to do some evil thing because I can somehow control, but my, there's something within me that just is easily set off by these things. And here, the question is, what vision do you have? Where are you going to focus your eyes? That's why, I love the image of vision because you can't focus on more than one thing at once. You genuinely can't. For those of you who have multiple children, like, that you know, you can't, you can't see them all the time It's just impossible. We talk about following Jesus. We talk about discipleship. Is something where we fix our eyes on Jesus all the time. That it's not that I just I fix my eyes on Jesus when I'm in my small group or at my church or when I'm doing my Bible reading, and then I focus my eyes on other things when I'm at work or when I'm out and about. We say no. All the time we fix our eyes on Jesus in the world that we live, wherever He places you, on the front lines of your life. It's a whole life type of a thing, because you can't look at two things at once. And that's, this is why I love the DVR. If you're watching something on television and someone, for example, your spouse, asks you a question or wants to engage conversation, you could just hit pause. And I can give full attention and have a conversation and it, everybody's satisfied and then I can go back. And then I can skip commercials and do things like that because I had the conversation. It's a win-win. The, the point is, I can't, I can't keep an eye on this conversation and what's happening on a screen. You just can't do it. And, and here Jesus said, you can't have vision 
Where are you going to fix your eyes? Because you can fo- you, if you focus your vision in light, your whole life is going to be full of light and life. So there you have it. So how do we apply this? So two things, two main things. One is, on a very practical note, so this is the time of year, Free Christian Church, where we are doing our financial planning and budgeting for next year. Our fiscal year, for mysterious reasons, runs from April to March. And... I have theories about that, but it's, that's, how it, that's how we've always done it. So it goes April to March, and so we're in our last sort of month of our fiscal year. And by the grace of God, we're, gonna, we're finishing the year in a very strong position, and people have been you know, tremendously generous in a crazy year. Um, so we are making our ministry plan and the corresponding budget for next year. So these are available. So there is this um, budget proposal is available this is our plan for next year. It's available out on the desk when you walk out. And uh, for those who prefer online, if you go, I think, freechristian.org slash budget, I think it will get you right to that. We'll send you a link for that. But we want everybody to look at it um, and consider how might I give to this next year. So this is a good time of year to sort of reset. If you're married, uh, then to sit with your spouse and say, okay, um, how do, what is our plan this year to give? You'll notice in the budget that it's, it's not you know, shockingly different than last year. It does include some new initiatives and, and things for, for this coming year. Uh, the biggest chunk of our budget is people. It's, it's um, staff and salaries and that sort of thing. Because we work with people. That's our greatest resource. And so that's kind of the biggest chunk I will say this year we have the team is actually full, so we're actually going to spend those dollars. Um, and it's the team is full and amazing, and we're very excited about that. Uh, the biggest difference year over year is that the mortgage payment goes from eighty-eight thousand dollars to zero because it was completely paid off. Praise God! So um, you'll you'll see that, and and thank God for that. Um, but if, if, and there's this resource too, so this is a little pledge card, the, the green card here. And this is just a tool for you to take some time and to be intentional and to, um, you know, communicate your giving to our assistant treasurer, who's the only one who would see those. So her name's Wendy, and if you want to, if you want part of your gift to go to missions and to the operating and to the, um, the capital fund, she can portion that out for you every week so you don't have to think about it. So this card helps her do that. So you can return one of these before the end of the month. So you just put it in the box out there or mail it in. Or you could even just email Wendy and just you can communicate with her directly on that. Um, So we're just asking people to say, okay, as I think about this teaching and as I think about what this year might look like for me and for my family, how how might I participate in this? Um, so that's the first kind of practical application. The second thing that I'd encourage you to do is to, um, to do, do something great in secret and let nobody know about it. Don't even, let yourself, don't even let yourself dwell on it. Do something generous. Do something beautiful. Don't email me and tell me you did it. Don't tell your small group. Just do it and experience the blessing of God the Father as you do it. Let us pray. Father, we, um, 
we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it challenges us, how it shapes us, Lord. And we want to go about this week as we leave this place to genuinely be a blessing, to do it because it's, it's near your heart, to do it because um, there, there's a goodness that you have equipped us for and prepared us for, that you've designed us for. And when we experience, Lord, we know your blessing. We know the joy of your love and your very presence with us, Lord. So I pray that we would all experience it this week. That there would be a goodness of your love to us and our love to you in return and the joy of the worship that flows from that. Thank you for your blessing. In Jesus' name, amen.